Well, turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm, uh, forgive me for being on a stool this morning. I had knee surgery about 10 days ago. I'm doing real well, but uh, just uh, sometimes a little hard to stand for a long period of time. So Hebrews chapter 11, we have been doing daily Bible reading, hopefully every day of your life. I cannot think of a better way to stay connected with God than an appointment with Him every day. Take some time to pray, a little time to worship, a little time to read your Bible. And we've been reading in the book of Hebrews, just finished it. Today we started, in, or yesterday actually, John's Gospel. And uh, if you'd like a little help with that, we've got a Bible guide you can pick up in the lobby. If you've got an iPhone, we've got an app you can download. It's on it. It's on our webpage. But anyway, we read a couple chapters a day. And we just finished this book of Hebrews. And in my opinion, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a great chapter of faith, that is, that ability to be able to believe God, hear God, trust God, and actually to see some incredible things happen in your life, but also have an incredible grace to endure when difficulties are around you. How many know it's all in the Bible? It's receiving from God, it's enduring until, but it's right there in Hebrews. Verse 7, though, it will be our focus for the morning. It says, it was by faith that Noah, can you say Noah? Noah heard God's warnings about things he could not yet see. Now, how many have ever seen God face to face? Let me see your hand. Come on. I don't know. Nobody. Yeah. But you see, you believe, you trust, and there's an element of faith that you simply believe it because he said it, because it witnesses with something in your heart. Well, God had spoken to Noah about a coming cataclysmic flood over the whole earth. He needed to prepare an ark to save him, and because he believed, because he had faith, he did it. Well, the Bible says he obeyed God. He built this large boat or an ark to save his family. And by his faith, Noah showed that the world was wrong and that he became one of those who are made right with God through faith. Now, this morning we're going to talk about Noah's story. Noah walked with God. But let me show a couple interesting little video clips that I think you'll, uh, you'll find informative. Well, it was funny until it started to thunder. Now, that's a, Pastor Nick couldn't find the original footage. I guess Noah forgot to record it, but that's the best we can do of what it would kind of look like. It's the only joke I had this morning. Sorry. A flood that encompassed the whole earth. Now, as you get, you get a picture in your mind, a ship, for conversation's sake, that let's say is as big as a football field. On one day, according to the Bible, Animals began to come in pairs. He didn't round them up. He didn't have to herd them up. But God brought them onto this ship. Had one door, had one window. And when the animals were on board, Noah was on board. On one day, at a marked period of time, the door shut. God shut the door. No winch, no pulley, nobody on the outside. But some supernatural event happened. Noah, as we look in the record in the Genesis account, I believe is a real story. Not a myth, not a typology. It really happened. If you're a skeptic, you might think about some of the facts, how that muscle shell got on top of Mount Everest, five and a half, well, no, you say 550 miles from the beach, five, five, 450 miles, five and a half miles on top of a mountain. How did it get there? A lot of facts, but the Bible basically tells the story of a corrupt world, of a world that was steeped in wickedness, and a righteous man who was protected from judgment, and his name was Noah. That's the story we're going to look at this morning, but kind of for some background, it took a hundred years to build this ship. Now, Noah, during this hundred-year period of time, I don't know if he went to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever he went to get his, you know, nails and equipment. Uh, I don't know where he went to lunch, you know, maybe he went to the Outback or wherever to eat, but wherever he would go, the Bible called him a preacher of righteousness. Now, I looked pretty solemn this morning. I thought that was funny, going to Outback and Noah and Lowe's. Okay. 
Well, anyway, he's shopping, but he's telling people that it's going to rain. Now, it had never rained before. If you know your Bible, you may, you may look Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says, basically, the earth was watered with a mist cloud. So we've got the greenhouse effect. That's how things were watered. And you know how things grow in a greenhouse. The vegetation is lush. I believe that's when the dinosaurs were on the earth. I believe this is when their destruction happened. A lot of things happened. When he got off the ark, it was different outside. Man didn't live as long as he did previously. Now there was rainbows. There was a clear sky rather than the mist effect. Uh, uh, now, now men were allowed to eat meat. But prior to that, they just ate vegetables. I mean, it was a different order among man and the animals. A lot of things happened when they got off. Now, after this hundred-year period when he had built this ship, he called people to God is what he was doing. He was calling them to God. They were rejecting his plea. And then the Bible says on that one day when he and the animals were on the ship, it began to rain. It actually says the heavens were open. It was a deluge. It lasted 40 days and 40 nights. But the Bible also says in chapter 7, verse 11, that underground waters erupted. Now, how many know that there are huge rivers and lakes, aquafilters, underground? We take it for granted, but when somebody drills a water well, it's amazing that almost all the time they hit water if they drill, drill deep enough, which means there's water all under the earth. There's rivers that are flowing. I'm told there's a river that flows kind of from St. Michael's Hospital that direction towards the church. And if you've looked in our parking lot, in the middle of the summertime, water comes out of the ground. Well, this was the world, and the Bible says it was broken up. The deep was broken up. Now, I believe this is how you, why you find seashells on tops of mountains. I believe literally some of these mountains were formed in this process, and that kind of explains how you know, some of the fossil record began to take place. But this is a story, uh, these facts aside, about a righteous man, a corrupt world, and the saving ark. And the picture for us is the saving ark, which is Christ. You see, because what you're going to see today is we're not only going to look at a historical record of Noah's account, but we're going to look ahead to what Jesus had to say. Jesus basically said, just like it was in Noah's day, it's going to be again. So Jesus pictured this coming judgment day that's going to affect the whole world just like Noah's day. We'll look from there. We'll look at Peter as well because the Bible predicts this, and it teaches us how to live in safety in the midst of a judgment that's coming around the corner. So Genesis chapter 6, the key in all this is that Noah walked with God. That's the title of the message. Genesis chapter 6, let's first talk about what I call the corrupt world. I want to draw some parallels this morning to not only the ancient day, but America, the nation that we know today. Verse 5, the Lord observed the extent of, can you say it with me, human wickedness. Human wickedness. To say that in American culture today, you are said to be judgmental. Who gives you the right to say something is wicked? Everything is the same. Not according to the Bible. I'm simply a parrot of what the Bible is telling us. But the Bible says that the Lord observed it. Which means, how many know if God saw wickedness then, God sees it today? If God has the right to define what's right and wrong, rights, what we have taken as much of our society today, be it a professional, a majority, a poll, to decide what's right. Well, God is the arbiter of right and wrong. He sees the extent of human wickedness. And notice, he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Now, I want you to try to open your eyes today to see the extent of wickedness in America today. Verse 6, the Lord was sorry he'd ever made them and put them on earth. The Bible says it broke his heart. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think God thinks uh, differently about evil and wickedness today than he did in Noah's day? Do you think God thinks about uh, the depth of wickedness and sin and evil any differently when Jesus died on the cross than Noah's day? 
See, the reason for the cross was because of the wickedness of humanity and their inability to save themselves. And for those that would choose to walk with God, there's the promise of the safety in the next coming judgment. Let me give you just a couple modern-day examples. Now, it won't be many, but we could be here literally all day talking about it. But I want you to begin to think, not just from a cultural perspective. Think how, think how television has changed. Just in my lifetime, I'm 54 when I was a kid, and I like, you know, I like, uh, I like my DVR because I can choose what I want to watch. Uh, if I happen to want to watch Leave It to Beaver, I have never seen, uh, what was his mom's name? June. I have never seen June topless. That was funny. Come on, because I've never seen her topless. But if you just turn virtually any station on virtually any time today, I mean, you know, you're, you're watching at your own risk. It's playing to the lust of people, but the world has changed, and, and there's so much of it around us, we don't even pause to realize it sometimes. Think about marriage. Now, marriage in our world today, it's a lot like Noah's day. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Now, listen to what the Bible says. Marriage should be honored by who? Everyone. God's Word. Genesis 2, 24. When we go back and the Bible says that Adam and Eve, remember, uh, uh, God prophesied the first marriage in particular, a picture of what was to come, a man and a woman, a man leaving his mother and father, cleaving, becoming one flesh, populate the planet. Well, marriage should be honored by everyone, and husband and wife should keep their marriage what? Yeah, so open marriage, adultery, all those things, God's saying it's outside the boundary, it's wicked, and he will judge as guilty. Do you see the word judge? Now, who likes the word judge? I guarantee you, if you visited 100 churches today across America, you probably wouldn't hear the word judge very often because we don't want to hear it as an American people. But the Bible says one day God will judge as guilty those who take part in sexual sins. So when you take that truth, and here's what I try to do. I, I, I want you to put God's Word higher than anything I say as an opinion of a person, but also what you hear in culture, what you hear taught in a class, what you read in the paper. Hopefully you are steeped in thinking of God's Word, absolute truth, right and wrong, so you're able to discern what's going on around us rather than just being caught up with the majority. Uh, recently our president uh, was elated and involved in repealing the don't ask, don't, don't tell in the military, basically allowing uh, gays to openly serve in the military, chaplains being able to marry men to men and women to women in our military. He also said that he was for the repeal of uh, DOMA, which was, uh, what was, what's it stand for, DOMA? Defense of Marriage Act, which basically under President Clinton preserved traditional marriage between a man and a woman. A very heated debate and argument in America today. States are voting. New York just voted to, to recognize same-sex marriages. I guarantee you have strong opinions. Let me say this. Whatever your opinion is, whatever your practice is, I love you as a person, but I also want to be able to say that the Bible says marriage should be between a man and a woman. Woman. Now, let me ask you this question. As we've looked at the Bible, if the Bible's the standard, is what's happening in America becoming more righteous or more wicked? More wicked. And it's almost hard to say that out loud because you're made to feel like a bigot or something in America today. But the Bible says, factually, that, that it's wicked. How about violence? Now, I, we, violence is all around us. But listen to uh, Proverbs 21.7. It says, and say it with me, the violence of the wicked. It'll destroy them because they refuse to do what's right. Now think about how much entertainment, what we call entertainment, is just steeped with violence. Uh, yesterday in the, uh, the paper, I'm writing to, to work and my daughter's reading some of the paper to me. She's 11 and uh, first thing she said, she looked on the front page and there's these pictures of these guys arrested and said, Daddy, these, these men shot this seven-year-old in the face. 
It's just all around us. It's everywhere. Recently, our Supreme Court uh, said that it was okay for minors to be able to buy violent graphic video games by or, or, or rent them. So basically, our court says no big deal about violence either. But according to the Bible, is America becoming more righteous or more wicked? Wicked. One more. A corruption. Proverbs 17, 23. The wicked take what? Secret bribes. The wicked take secret bribes to pervert the course of justice. In other words, God has a standard, but people are wrongly influenced to go in a crooked path. Um, there was a Zogby poll that said 82% of Americans, that's most of us, believe that the uh, political corruption played a major role in the financial crisis. In other words, what we're seeing, this collapse of America, supposedly all the mess that's going on financially, devaluing our dollar, inflation, just going like a wild man out there in terms of prices that you're paying for things, they believe that corruption was a part of it. And guess what? A study was done recently that those in Washington's net worth increased over 3,000% while the rest of much of America is out of work and struggling. So we know that this, and what's this called? It's called wickedness. So there's wickedness and there's justice. I was so encouraged this morning, I, I, if you open the paper, the bottom of our paper was a picture of two brothers, our sheriff and his brother David. And David basically uh, had been arrested by Sheriff Prince a number of years ago because of a 30-year-old drug problem. Now, can you imagine that? A brother being committed to the law enough to arrest, his, to arrest his brother and put him in jail. And then his brother said, that was the defining moment of my life. That's when God got my attention. And now the, other, the brother is serving the Lord. And uh, I mean, listen, he said, that was a turnaround point in my life. Isn't that great? I got so excited when I read it, I sent Sheriff Prince a text message and thanked him for, for what he's doing for our community. We don't say thank you enough to those that are, that are in public service, do we? So anyway, it's around us. So with corruption, would you agree with me that America is becoming more what? More wicked. Now, we could talk all day about it, but I'm not going to. But I want you to kind of see it clearly. Don't disassociate what's going on out there to what's really happening in the world. We live in a wicked place. Now, look back to Genesis, verse 7. God speaking to Noah about judgment. The Lord said, I will destroy all human beings that I made on the earth. That means that's pretty strong language. I will destroy the human beings I made. I'll destroy every animal and everything that crawls on the earth, the birds of the air, because I'm sorry I've made them. Now, I want you to think about this a minute. The reason a loving God judges people is because they resist His ways and practice evil. Let me say it again. God is, and how many know God is first and foremost a loving God? For God so, yeah, that He gave His only begotten Son. God is a loving God, but He's also a just God. And a just God will not allow evil, wickedness, to define the people He's in relationship with. God has revealed Himself to all mankind in at least four ways. First, God reveals Himself through nature, the enormity, the complexity just of the natural world. It's called natural theology, Romans 1. God reveals Himself through the Word of God, number two. He reveals Himself through supernatural acts and events that when His presence invades the earth. And number four, God reveals Himself through Christian testimony. So as God reveals Himself, men have free will that they can choose to humble themselves, submit themselves at the level of revelation they have. Whether they are a pygmy in Africa or whether the most sophisticated person in New York City, according to the revelation they have, they can submit and humble themselves and walk with God or they can resist Him. And the Bible says that not only did God judge them, it'll happen again. Now, for to say this in America today, I mean, America, a very pluralistic society, very much political correctness is the word of the day. What I'm saying right now is not very popular. But can I tell you, my friends, truth is truth. 
I would much rather somebody tell me before it happens than just keep kicking the can down the road like it doesn't matter. Well, that's what we want to do today. Matthew 24. Do you know that Jesus Christ said there's going to be a similar day of judgment that's going to happen again? Jesus said this. Look at uh, Matthew 27, verse 37. Jesus said, for as it was in the days of... Say it again. So now we leap from Genesis 6 all the way to Christ. We're probably 4,500, 5,000 years. As it was in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus is coming back, not as a baby in a manger, but as the come on, King of kings and Lord of lords to judge the world. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, uh, going to McDonald's, going to Walmart, blah, 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 giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. So they're just going about life, living life, going to school, going to the beach, watching television. Well, not watching television Noah's day, but you understand what I'm talking about. Living life. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And listen to what Jesus said. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. That most of the world, most of the world, the Bible says there's a wide path to destruction. Most people are on it. Most of the world will be outside. And Noah, those that were walking with God, believing God, you, those that are endeavoring to live a righteous life, can be on that ark which is Christ. And then Jesus says words that are, have direct bearing to us today. Verse 44, therefore you must also, come on, say it with me, everybody. Be ready. You must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Now, I, I've got the, uh, the agenda or the uh, travel itinerary for when my wife's supposed to land in Dallas. I mean, it printed it out. The airlines basically said, you know, uh, we know when it's supposed to be here. This is what we've planned, and we live our life that way. You know, if I want to see what date it is, I look on my watch, I look on my phone, see what time it is. But the Bible says you, you can't put it on a calendar date when Christ is coming back. That's why the man that recently predicted it was wrong to even try to do that. But Jesus said, I'm coming back one day, and I'm coming back as the judge of the world, and you need to be ready. Now, that's what the Bible teaches us. 1 Peter chapter 4, and this is something that I wish we would teach in our public schools. The Bible tells us that we will one day give an account of our life to God. Now, how many know that can be really good or really bad? Now, I don't know how this has happened, but the Bible says there's books in heaven that are somehow recording the life of every, all the 7 billion people on the planet today. God is recording our lives, our actions, our thoughts. You say, well, how could he do that? You'd need a big computer. Come on, friend, he's God. The Bible says literally the stars were flung from his fingertips. How many know if he's big enough to do that? How many know if God is smart enough to make 7 billion people different? If you look around the room today, you'll see a lot of people with two legs, two, you know, two ears and a nose and eyes and you know, ten fingers. We've got commonality, but buddy, we are different. We are different and the uniqueness and the incredible nature of God. And the stronger telescope they make, come on, the more that they see is out there. They just can't find it. And they tell us the universe is expanding at the speed of light, which is and it's just going and going and going. And the Bible says somehow God created that with a spoken word in Genesis 1.1. You say, well, where was he? Listen, friend, I don't know. He's God. That's why he's God and I'm not. 
But that God is in charge of everything, and he wants to spend eternity with you. And the Bible says one day you'll give an account to his, of, of your life. I believe it's Revelation 21. If you'd look back there, you'd read about it. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment, where the graves will be open, men will stand before God, books will be open, and we'll be judged. How many want to be on the right side on that day? Yeah, me too. Listen to what Peter says. Verse 3, Peter says, you've spent enough time in the past doing what the heathen like to do. Now, heathen means pagans, it means unbelievers. It simply means people just like you before by grace you believed in Jesus. So get rid of all the pride, get rid of all the self-righteousness. How I many know we're just like everybody else on this planet? Come on, both hands, both feet. I'm a sinner just like everybody next door. They've got their problems, I've got mine. The difference, though, is that I've admitted my sin, have asked Christ to forgive me, come on, and His righteousness washes my sins away. That's the difference. Well, you, and, and notice now, I want you to see this in this passage. For the Christian, we have a past and we have a present. If your present is like your past, I'll suggest to you you're not a believer. See, when we truly have Christian belief, behavior follows. Now listen to what happens, verse 3. He said, you spent enough time in the past doing what the heathen like to do. Your lives were spent, listen to the picture, now this is indecency, it's a sexual illusion, uh, uh, lust, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and the disgusting worship of idols. You used to live that way, and now the heathen or the unbeliever are surprised when you don't join them in the same wild and reckless living, and they insult you. Now, let me, let me tell you firsthand, I, I was not always some preacher sitting on a stool talking to people. Well, I became a Christian when I was 19. Before that, I was a wild hellion. I was a heathen. If you'd have had a dictionary and, and had the word heathen, you could have put my picture in it. I'm telling you, I was the guy that had the beer. I was the guy that had the party. That was my life. And when I became a Christian, I became a Christian in the Navy. I invited Christ in my life. I remember going back to the first party with all my friends. And I thought I had two or three hundred friends come to realize they were acquaintances. Because when I got back, now, of course, my hair was cut off. And I used to have this big afro. The big hair was in in my day. I'm telling you, it was so big, it would stick out the ears of my football helmet. No lie, okay. I mean, it was big. My hat, it didn't go on my head. It just sat on top of all that hair. That was in. That was, that was cool back then, okay? Well, they cut all my hair off, but I'll go to the party. I've still got all my kind of party clothes, but when they're passing around the drinks, and, and they're drinking Jack Daniels, and I'm just drinking a Sprite or a Coke, and they said, let me help you. Nah, I don't want anything. Why not? Man, I'll tell you, something's happened in my life. And I wasn't some self-righteous guy. You know, girls hit on you. No thanks. Why is that? It's because something happens on the inside. When you realize you're out in the world, and not just because you're scared of the rains that's coming, if you're Noah's, but you just want to walk with God. And when you walk with God, you walk away from your old life. And I'll tell you, friends, if you've not walked away from your old life, you may not be a Christian. I'm telling you, I'm shooting straight with you. If I'd have died before that day, August 15, 1976, I don't think I'd have gone to heaven. Now, my grandmother said I was a good boy, but how many know good boys don't go to heaven? You see, it's sin that keeps you out of heaven. It's Christ that forgives you. Listen to what it says. Verse 5, now this is pretty heavy. You can't get by this. The Bible says they will have to give what? An account of themselves to God who is ready to do what? Now, that's not some preacher on a stool saying that. That's the Word of God that says one day we're going to give an account to God and God's going to judge our life. Let me tell you who's going to be with you on Judgment Day. If you want Him to be there, Jesus is going to be your advocate, your attorney. I mean, when your name is called in heaven, John Henry Miller III, come on down. 
I'm going to get up there and listen, devil's pointing fingers and all that stuff. Jesus is just going to do just like they do on television. He's going to stand in front of me and say, Your Honor, I'm representing him today. Here's my nail-scarred hands. The blood of Christ is applied to him. The judge will say, Next case. Now, I'm telling you, Bible, whether you embrace it or not, next case. But if you don't have a good attorney on that day, buddy, you are in trouble. And can I tell you, it's too late to look in the yellow pages on Judgment Day. Now, Genesis 6, verse 7. Let me give you what I think is the best part of the message. So if you've turned me off thus far, turn me on this next couple minutes. Genesis 6, verse 7. Noah was a righteous man. Now, the Lord said, I'm going to wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. I'm going to destroy every living thing. Now look at verse 8. This is the big verse. Take it home if you take nothing else. But Noah found what? Yeah, favor or grace with the Lord. And notice what it says. Noah was a righteous man. He was the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And the biggest phrase of the text, he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah walked with God. Now listen, and because he walked with God... He was declared righteous because of his faith. And because he walked with God, he was committed to live a blameless life. How many know your good works are not going to get you to heaven? What, got Noah, uh, what spared Noah was he was living a righteous, blameless life all because he walked with God. Now, I want to tell you, the same thing can happen to you and I today. If we walk with God, listen, God's righteousness will be our portion. Let me say this, Romans 3.22, our good works don't make us righteous. Listen to the Bible. The Bible says the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The righteousness from God. That is, when God looks at you, it's not just because of your good deeds. See, the reason Christ died on the cross is because you couldn't be good enough. See, the Bible says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. So what Christ does when I believe, somehow he puts a robe of righteous over me. It's like washing dirt off of my life and it's going down the drain. And when it goes down the drain, uh, he puts a robe on me of righteousness and he imputes or imparts or gives me his righteousness. And that's the ticket, friend. That's what makes you righteous is because of what Christ has done. But let me be quick to say, God, how many, God expects righteous people to live righteous lives. He, in other words, he expects your behavior to follow your belief. And if your behavior doesn't follow your belief, I will suggest to you that as the Bible says, your faith is dead, empty, meaningless, and not Bible faith. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, you know it this way. It says, uh, come out from among them and be, yeah, touch not the unclean thing and I'll receive you. Well, guess what the Message Bible says? Leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. Now, doesn't that sound like God saying, I want to walk with you all your days. And if you'll walk with me, if you'll come out from the world. Uh, that you, you get the picture when I was talking about my old life. I'm not the way I used to be. And I'm not the way I used to be is because I've decided to walk with God. And I don't want to do that anymore. And even the things that I want to do from my past. Anybody got any of those? What are they? We've all got them. They pull me back. Listen, when, when it pulls me back, I want to tell you what. I've got a part of me, my old nature, that wants to do it. But guess what? When I begin to touch that direction of my life, I, I feel guilt. I feel shame. And guess what I do? I go to the cross, and I ask God to forgive me, and ask God to make me new. Not because I'm scared I'm going to get wiped out on Judgment Day. I don't want to break my relationship with God. 
Listen, my wife is coming back from India tomorrow. My wife, uh, uh, she, she likes a clean house. And Bethany came home. She's been out of town for a week, and she looked at Rebecca and I, what we've left, and she said, this house is a wreck. So my wife, you know, when she comes home, guess what I'm going to do for her? I'm going to try to give her a clean house because I love her. She told me the other day, she said, honey, my love language is serving. And it just warmed my heart because I said, honey, my love language is being served. So we fit together <laughs> like peas and carrots. That's true story. So, but I know what means a lot to her when she gets in her dirty car and I've made it clean. That, that says you're important to me. When we clean that house, that says that, listen, you're important to us. Well, it's the same thing about walking with God. When I choose not to sin or live that old lifestyle, it's because I want to make him happy. And that's the outflow of walking with God. And that's what God is looking for in our life. That, uh, listen, the choices we make in life, the, the, the righteous choices, the blameless choices, it all flows out of the fact that we walk with God. And that's what God wants for us, to walk away from the world and walk towards Him. Come on, give Him a big hand this morning. Let me, let, me, let me close with this thought as Pastor Nick comes. Genesis 6, verse 7, 17, and it's about God's protection. And this is a picture and a promise for you and I today. We look back for Noah, but we look ahead at Christ. God said to Noah, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Now look at verse 1. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat or go into the ark with your family, for among all the people of the earth I can see that you alone are righteous. Isn't that a powerful promise? Here you got this guy for a hundred years. It's built this big ship on land and it's never rained. And he simply believed God. And God looked at this man and God said, you buddy have a righteous heart. You've tried to walk with me all my days. And because of that, I'm going to protect you on judgment day. Because of that, you don't have to fear when the rain comes. Because of that, you don't have to fear when the depths are broken up. Because I'm going to hold you in the hollow of my hand. Can I tell you, it's the exact same thing for us as Christian people today. Jesus Christ will hold us in the hollow of his hand. You don't have to be afraid of what happens after death. You don't have to be afraid of judgment day if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. When God looks at you, listen, he doesn't see what you used to be. He sees Jesus. Somebody say praise the Lord this morning. When God looks at me, listen, I may have a memory of my old life. I may have a memory of the people whose lives I hurt. But my sins have been buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. When he looks at me, he doesn't see the way I used to be. He sees me clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's why the Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Don't you think he's worthy of our praise? Come on, give him another good hand today. We bless him today for the shed blood of Christ that washes our sins away and gives us a hope. So here's my question for you today as we close. Are you on the ark? Because here's the deal. You can't have it both ways. That day when the ark was shut, you're either out in the world or you're on the ark. On that day in the future when it comes, you're either going to be out in the world doing your own thing, kind of coming in and out with God or living out there, or you're going to be securely on the ark, which is Christ. So I want to ask you this morning about the life you're living. I want to ask you this morning, are you trying to walk with God each day? Are you trying to live a blameless life? Are you trying to let the righteousness, righteous life flow out of the righteousness God gave you. That's God's plan for you. That's what God wants. And guess what? That's where your happiness is going to be. All the world has to offer is a fake counterfeit. But if you will walk with God all the days of your life, my friend, He'll give you the joy that you're searching for. 
And I want to encourage all of you today, make a step to Christ. Make sure that your heart is right with God. Renew afresh. If you, you may find yourself here this morning, because we're going to close in prayer as we always do. And I mean, know when we pray, we'll pray with you about anything. Because what happens on a, when we have a service a Sunday morning, hopefully you have some fellowship with God's people before church in the cafe, maybe after you're meeting some people, fellowships apart. But listen, worship, the Word of God, and prayer. And prayer is that wonderful opportunity for you to connect with God and another person simply to invite God in an area of your life. I don't know what your need may be. You may have some financial pressures, marriage problems. Who knows what it may be? You may have mother-in-law problems, but you, you just may want God to help you. We'll pray with you this morning. But I believe there's a lot of people here today that this message has spoken to you, that God is trying to tell you, I want you to walk away from the world. I want you to walk away from what the Bible would call a, a wicked lifestyle. I want you to begin to pursue a blameless life. And there's something powerful that happens when you make a step to Christ. I'm telling you, I've been a Christian 30 years, and I have countless times gone for prayer and asked people to pray for me. And something happens. Because if I can't walk towards God in a place of worship, how can I, how can I walk towards Him when they're trying to pour some Jack Daniels in my drink? I'm telling you, it's just harder when you're out there in the world. So there's a wonderful opportunity today if you need to connect with God. Because you may be here today, and if I can talk with you, I'd, I'd, just a second, you may not even know if you're going to go to heaven or hell when you die. You might have never heard anyone talk this directly about this subject. But I want to tell you, friends, Christ offers you what no one else can. Because Jesus Christ is the only one that was raised from the dead. And he came with one person to offer us forgiveness of our sins. And I'm telling you, I was raised in church, but I was not a Christian. I would call on God when I was in trouble. I can remember I was probably 18. I was living a worldly life, and I had had too much to drink and, you know, all that goes with it. And uh, I was coming home, and it had flooded in our part of the world, and the river was, was uh, out of its banks. The water was literally that high from coming over the top of the road where I was riding on, and it would be like 25 feet deep. There was no posts, no barriers or anything. It was just kind of a small highway. And I can remember as an 18-year-old boy pulling off the side of the road before I crossed it and asking God. See, I always believed in God. I just never put my trust in Him and followed Him. I pulled my little... Whatever kind of car it was, it was a white Ford car. It was a nice car my dad gave me. I pulled that car off the side of the road and I asked God to please help me get home. I shouldn't have been driving. And guess what I did? It's like I took God off the shelf and put him in the car. And when I got across that river, across that whole couple miles, it was about a mile long, guess what I did? I put God back on the shelf until I felt I'd need him again because I was living for myself. And I want you to imagine there's a throne in your heart. You can't see it, but when you were born, you know you were sitting on it. When that little baby's old enough to say something, they say, no, mine, me, leave me alone, I want what I want. And we live that way. We refine it, but we live that way all our life. We're on the throne. Well, there's a point in life where we come to a spiritual crossroads where when we realize what Jesus Christ wants is he wants me to get off the throne and put him on it. He didn't want me to just say, I believe for fire insurance. He wants me to invite Christ to be the Lord of my life. He gives me an invitation to walk with God. And that's the starting place for being a Christian. And that may be you this morning. And if you have the courage to make a step to Christ, somebody will meet you and tell you how to meet your glorious Savior. And we're going to pray with you this morning. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing a worship song through a time or two, and then you'll be dismissed. But our prayer team is coming to the front right now to pray for you. So as our prayer team comes right now, they're going to gather around the front. We're going to just start to sing. And if you want prayer for anything, I want you to come this morning. 
If God is speaking to you, don't let this moment pass you by. Prayer team's coming. We're going to sing. Let us pray with you this morning. God bless you. Thanks for coming.